Hey, welcome everybody here to Big Valley Grace. Welcome over in the venue, and I'm very thankful for Branded Lean Worship leading over there. Thank you to the team that serves over there, and Jonathan, thank you for reading all the, those scriptures and quotes over there. Thank you, Ben Jennings, uh, for taking the time to memorize those and, and share them with us. I want to welcome you all here uh, today. Um, Hopefully you all had a great time last night with your families and your friends and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, uh, because I have kids, um, I go buy a few fireworks, okay? And nothing's more depressing than to walk out and stick a thing on, on my, you know, road and light it and go, that was 20 bucks, <laughs> you know? And then you put another one out there and I'm up to 40. And, and then we go to bed. Um, <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. My kids love it, and so we do it. I do have some interesting conversations, though, with my children as we are lighting off the fireworks. or kind of at that age where we get to talk about this great, great country of ours. And you look at that flag over there. Those are the colors that represent this great land of ours. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent, whether you're black or white or brown, whether you're young or old, whether you're a man or a woman, those are the colors that represent this country. Those are the colors that belong on the people's house. And um, I, I have a message here, and we're going to begin a brand new series where we're going to walk through the book of First John together as a church, but boy, I sure have a lot of other thoughts in my heart, I'm sure you do too, um, during this time. I know that God's going to use this series. I think it's an appropriate series. I think uh, some of the things that John talks about in this letter of, of his uh, really fit with where we're at as a country today. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that all scripture, all scripture, everybody hold up their sword. Everybody hold it up. Come on, come on, get it up. Okay, over in the venue, put it up. All scripture, right here. All scripture, all of it is inspired by God. And what that means is that it's God breathed. The Holy Spirit came upon these writers in a very unique way and had them pin the very words that God wanted. Now they pinned them in their own personalities. These are the very words of God, and they're useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. In other words, this is truth. This is. This is absolute truth. This, the Word of God. God uses it to prepare and equip His people 
to do every good work. And when I look at a scripture like that and others, I know that as we get into this book of 1 John, I know God's going to use it in our lives. He, he, he promises. And so I just want to encourage all of you that as the week goes on, not only on Fridays are we praying and fasting as a church, but let me encourage you to spend some time in this letter that we call 1 John. A lot of people think it was an actual sermon that John preached because there's no salutation. It doesn't say, hey, Rick, good to see you, and whatever. It just He just comes right out of the gate with thought. So it might have been a sermon. But in either case, you know, whatever the case may be, I think we're all going to learn a lot from it. John wrote five books in the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he also wrote the book of Revelation. And I don't want you to get him confused with that other famous John, John the Baptist. They, they were two different uh, fellows. He was a, a fisherman by trade. Matthew chapter 4 says this, One day as Jesus was walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing their nets into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come and follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, Jesus saw two other brothers, James and John the one in whom wrote our letter that we're going to study. They were sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee repairing their nets, and Jesus called to them to, to come too, and they immediately followed Jesus, leaving the boat and their father behind. Uh, later on, John is going to become one of Jesus' closest friends. He was a part of what we might call Jesus' inner uh, circle, and when Jesus was hanging on the cross, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he basically put John, the one who wrote our letter, in charge of taking care of his mother, Mary. It says this in John chapter 19, when Jesus saw his mother standing there, Jesus was up on the cross, standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, here's your son, and he said to the disciple, John, here is your mother, and from then on, this disciple took her into his own home. So it's obvious that Jesus thought a lot of John. I mean, he put his mama in charge. You know, John, you, you take care of mama. Jesus thought a lot of this person who, you know, this, we're going to study the letter that, that, that he, he wrote but I think uh, the thing I like most about him when I kind of look at his life was that he knew he was loved by Jesus. Look at verse 26 again of John chapter 19. It says, when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved. He says it again in verse, uh, in chapter 20. It says, early on Sunday morning while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. Jesus has now died. He's been put in the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran, she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. He says it again in John chapter 21. And the reason John wrote this was because he knew. He knew that he was loved by Jesus. He doesn't write this 
uh, you know, because, you know, hey, Jesus didn't love the other guys. Jesus didn't love Peter. You know, I'm the only one he loved. That's not why he said that. I think he wrote that because he really sensed that he was loved by God. He knew it. It wasn't just some truth out there. He felt it. He, he, he got to hang out with Jesus. And when it was all said and done, he knew that he was loved by Jesus. So here, here's a great question that I, I think I want to start with. Do you believe that, that Jesus loves you? I mean, do you really know it? Do you feel it? Well, one of the things that's troubling to me as a pastor is when I meet with Christians and they make comments like, hey, I don't really know if Jesus loves me. I don't think God loves me. And that, that's just troubling to me. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, but God showed his great love for us or for you by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. What else could Jesus have done? Now, I really want you to think about this. What else could he have done to convince you that you're loved by him? He, he, he said it throughout the, the scriptures but we all know talk is cheap. Saying something's easy. But then he, he actually demonstrated it. He, he went to a cross. He gave up his life for you. For me. I, I don't know what else he could do to convince you that you really are loved by him. That no matter what's happening in your life, no matter what the circumstances of your life are, no matter what kinds of pressures you're going to feel as a follower of Christ, that you would go, look, at the end of the day, I know, I know that I'm loved by Jesus. I know it. John knew Jesus loved him. Now, John had a, a, a number of reasons why he wrote this letter, which we're going to look at over the next uh, you know, few weeks or whatever, but I want to quickly give you one of them, and the reason why I want to give this particular one to you right now is because I think it's very appropriate for where we're at today as a country and all of that kind of stuff. One of the reasons John wrote this letter was he wanted you to be careful who you listen to. Back. John says this in chapter 2, verse 26. He says, I'm writing these things to you. And he uses that phrase five or six times. Here's why I'm writing this letter uh, of, of, of John. Here's why I'm sending it to you. Here's the reason. He says, the reason that I'm writing this to you is I'm, I want to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. So he tells us some data there. I want you to, to, to be very, very careful. There, there are people out there who are trying to lead you astray. They're trying to lead you away from Christ, the cross of Christ, if you will. 
You see, at the time that John wrote this, there were a number of different people and groups out there that were teaching false doctrines. And so John, one of these believers, would be careful who they listened to. And I want you to know that today is no different. We all need to be very careful who we listen to because there are people out there, there are, are pastors out there, there are denominations out there, there are colleges out there that are teaching just some weird things, some unbiblical things, some really demonic things. And they're trying to pass them off as truth. They're wise enough to put a little bit of truth in there, to suck you in, and then the next thing you know, they bamboozled you. And to actually believe in something that isn't reality, isn't truth. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. He says, you uh, can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only few find it. So Jesus gives us a little bit of data there. He says, hey, look, basically in life, we're all on one of two roads. One is a narrow road. Few people get on that road, but that road's going to lead to life. It's going to lead to eternal life. Leads, leads somewhere great. But then there's this other road. It's a wide road, and man, that road is just packed full of people, and it, it ends in hell. It ends in a different place. And then he says this, he says, beware, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. There, there's this idea that you have the true prophets, if you will, the, the true teachers, if you will, who are trying to you know, point people to the narrow road. They're, they're, they're trying to tell people the truth. They're trying to tell people about Jesus. They're doing their best. Here's where you want to go. Here's the, the narrow road. Here's the road that leads to life. But you also have these other people out there with all kinds of shiny things going, no, 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 no. Don't go that way. Don't go there. This is the road you want to go on. And they, they lure people with false teachings. They lure people with things that aren't true. It's one of the reasons why the, the wide road is so filled up. And one of the main things that they use to lure people is the appeal to the flesh. Oh, you can live any way you want. You come to this road over here, you live any way you want. Oh, that guy over there, he's going to tell you to live according to this. And certainly there are some good things in there. You come this way, you live any way you want. You can do anything you want. You're free over here. He says this in verse 21 not everyone who calls out to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven only those who actually do the will of my father 
On Judgment Day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we preach messages in your name? Didn't we start denominations in your name? Didn't we do a whole lot of really great things in your name? But I will reply, Jesus said, I, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Now the idea there is this, is that Jesus knows everybody. He created everybody. That word know right there, or I never knew you, is a, a very intimate term in the Greek. It means we didn't have a, a personal, intimate relationship with one another. Oh, I knew who you were. I created you. I created you in my image. And just because you, 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 you said some nice things about me, just because you stood up at a pulpit and preached you know, a, a few verses about me, doesn't mean anything. Because all of this matters to me. Not just a few things in here. Not just the things that you like, but all of it matters to me. And you made a choice to break my laws. In fact, you really taught others that it was okay to break my laws. It was okay. How you twisted my word to make people think, well, I can just fulfill all my desires. I can do anything I want with my life. That was happening when John wrote his letter. Lots of shenanigans going on, a lot of bad teaching, and I'm going to talk about that, Lord willing, in the weeks to come. I'll talk a little bit about more of it t today, but, you know, we got all kinds of false teachers out there, teaching all kinds of really crummy, evil, wicked things, leading people down a crummy path. Jesus also said this in Revelation chapter 2. He's writing a letter to these different churches, and he says, write this letter to the angel of the church at Smyrna. This is the message from the one who was first and last, who was dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering, and I know about your, your, pro your poverty, but the reality is you're rich. I know the, the blasphemy, blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they're Jews, but they're not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Jesus just gave us a really interesting bit of information. There are synagogues out there. There are churches out there that have buildings that look like this. They have pulpits that look like this. They may even have a cross-up. They may have an orchestra. They may have a choir. They may have a, a cafe. They may have Sunday school classes. They have it all. It looks like us, but in reality, what they teach is really of Satan. They're, they're a church or a synagogue of Satan. Now, I didn't say that. That's what Jesus said. Boy, I can look around today and I can see denominations. I can see all kinds of preachers that not only will not teach all of this, but they themselves are living in direct violation to what this says, and yet they call themselves pastors. Pastors. 
In John's time, 2,000 years ago, when he wrote First John, there were false teachers and all of that, and certainly we experience those things to, today, okay? And uh, so as we walk through this, you're going to see how John is trying to clear up some things. There are some things he wants us to know as, as truth so that we're not confused or bamboozled or you know, tricked or, 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 or whatever. And uh, so today we're going to read the first four, four verses. Okay, so look at uh, 1 John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, they'll be in your notes, or they'll come up on the jumbotrons. And uh, by the way, welcome to all of you that are watching online also. We have hundreds of people that watch every week online, and I'm glad that you're, you're with us. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we've seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our, a better translation would be your, joy complete. Now there's a lot of stuff here, and, and I, I'm only going to give you three thoughts. Three things that I think John was trying to communicate to this group of people back when he wrote this. And here it is 2,000 years later, and these same three things are every bit as important to us today as followers of Christ, okay? So the first one is this. John wanted you to know that Jesus was God in human form. It's one of the things he wanted you to know. Look at verse one. That which was from the beginning. That which was from the beginning. Now, I want you to know that not all scholars agree as to what those six words are saying there, okay? Uh, some scholars think that John was referring to the gospel message here, okay? In other words, the gospel message wasn't an afterthought, but was actually from the very beginning, that the message of salvation wasn't something that came along later in history, but that it's actually been around since the very beginning. And I want you to know that that's absolutely true. The gospel message has been around from the very beginning. And so he could have been talking about that. Uh, some scholars think that John was referring to the beginning of the earthly life and ministry of Jesus. That when he comes up out of the water at his baptism, right, and his earthly ministry is going to begin, that that's what John was talking about. And I want you to know, I think that that could be true also, without a doubt. Some scholars think that John was referring to the fact that Jesus preexisted in heaven long before he was ever born in Bethlehem. In other words, Jesus was God in human form, and that's the one that I'm going to focus on here today. They're all true. All three of them are true. You could slot any of them in there, and they would all make sense. And maybe John was referring to all three of them in some form or fashion. I, I, um, I'm just going to zero in on one piece of it, uh, okay? Um, I want you to listen to what John said in the gospel that he wrote. He said this in John 1, 1, in the beginning, same kind of verbiage there, right? The word already existed. 
The Word was with God, and the Word actually was God. He existed in the beginning with God. Now, at this point in the letter, we don't know, you know, who the Word is. All we know is that the Word has always existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was actually God. But we don't know who the Word is until you get to verse 14. And now John tells us who the Word was. He says, so the Word became human. Oh, and he made his home among us. So it's in verse 14 that we learn who the Word was. The Word was Jesus. And the Word was in the beginning with God. The Word was with God. And not only was Jesus with God, but Jesus was God. There's no doubt that here in John chapter 1, John's telling us that Jesus preexisted in heaven long before he was born in Bethlehem. When we celebrate Christmas, the Advent season, we're not celebrating the moment when Jesus, you know, came into existence. He, he was already in existence. What we celebrate is the day that Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, becomes a human being. He takes on the form of, uh, of a, a human. And this is a, a, a fundamental truth in true Christianity. Jesus was fully man, he was fully human, and he was fully God. Okay, it says this in Genesis chapter one, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Here we have a, a clear look at the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It says, let us make human beings in our image. And John knew that Jesus was a part of the us and the hour there. You see, he knew that. And he's wanting everybody to know this. That Jesus was God in human form. But he existed in the beginning. See. Beloved, Jesus wasn't simply a good man or a good teacher or a good rabbi. He was certainly all of those things. There's no doubt about it. But he was way more than that. He was God in human form. Now, one of the reasons John writes this letter is because there were people running around teaching that Jesus really didn't have a physical body. It only seemed like he had a physical body, but really it was only a spiritual body. Therefore, he couldn't have really died on the cross for our sins. In other words, they were denying the reality of the incarnation of Jesus, that Jesus was God in human form. They denied the reality that Jesus died physically and that he rose again physically. And so John, right out of the gate, is trying to clear this up. He wants the believers to know that Jesus had a human body, but he was, he was God. Now this brings me to the second thing that I think John wanted you to know, okay? N number two, John wanted you to know that there's eternal life in a relationship with Jesus. Look at verse, uh, well, verse one again. That which was from the beginning which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, Jesus appeared. 
We've seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Beloved, Jesus, who was with the Father in heaven from the beginning, is eternal life. Jesus is eternal life. If anybody ever asks you, gee, what is eternal life? You Christians talk about eternal life. What is it? The answer is Jesus. Jesus is eternal life. He is the life. Him. John chapter 10 records a moment when Jesus uh, arrives at the gravesite of a friend, right? This friend has been dead for four days. And the Bible says this. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection. I am the life. I'm it. Uh, Ma Martha, I'm the resurrection, Jesus says. I'm the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. <laughs> Makes some sense if you're the life, right? And then he asks a great question. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? you believe that I'm the life? Do you believe that? Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 14. Jesus said, I am the way I am the truth, and I am the life. And because of that, no one comes to the Father except through me. And I want you to know, that's a pretty outrageous claim. Jesus says, I'm the way to heaven. He didn't say, I'm, a, I'm one of many ways. Jesus didn't say, I, I, I'm a pretty good way. <laughs> he said, I'm it. There's no other way you're going to get to the Father but through me. And that makes sense if you're the life. You're it. Beloved, according to Jesus, all roads don't lead to heaven. Only one does, and that's him. And the reason he could make such an outrageous claim is because he was God in human form, which, which he proved when he walked out of the tomb three days after he had been crucified, right? Beloved, John was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. Think about this. He actually knew Jesus personally. He actually talked with Jesus, had many, many conversations with Jesus. He, he ate a lot of meals with Jesus. Just think this through. I mean, you probably couldn't count how many times they sat down and had breakfast together, or lunch together, dinner together. How many times they would have met at Giacomo's if they would have had him, you know, had coffee together. He walked uh, around the countryside with Jesus. He fished with Jesus. John actually heard Jesus preach. He, he sat in the front row. He heard the messages. He saw Jesus do the miracles. He participated in some of them. The feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 15,000. 
He saw it all go down. He had a personal relationship with Jesus. He was there when Jesus was crucified. He saw it. He didn't read about it. He saw it. He saw Jesus die. He saw Jesus' bloody body come off of that cross. He knew exactly where that tomb was where they laid him. He saw it with his own eyes. And he also saw Jesus alive again. He saw it all. And when he put it all together, John knew that Jesus didn't come into existence when he was born in that little town of Bethlehem. John knew that Jesus was from the beginning. John knew that Jesus was God in human form. God knew that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. God, John knew that he was the Savior. He knew that Jesus was the life. He knew it. So here he is writing this letter to a group of people and thus to us uh, followers of Christ 2,000 years later. I want you to listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 10. He said, I and the Father are one. And again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? Is it the turning the water into wine? Is that, is that the one you're going to stone me for? Are you going to stone me for healing the, you know, uh, the, the, the blind man? Are you going to stone me for you know, the feeding of the 5,000? Which one of these are you going to stone me for? Which one of the miracles is it? Well, we're not going to stone you for any of these. Well, we're okay with the miracles. <laughs> but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. That's why we're going to kill you. Beloved, make no mistake about it. Not only did John know who Jesus was, but he probably knew that because he was there and he saw all this go down. He, he was there when John said this. And he's putting it all together. In John chapter 5, so the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him, for he not only broke the Sabbath, but he called God his Father, therefore making himself equal with God. Beloved, there is no doubt that Jesus claimed to be God or equal with God. But if you think about it, that's really not that big a deal. Go home today and Google people who have told, you know, come out and said they're God. <laughs> All throughout the centuries, there's been lots of people who have claimed to be God. Just because someone claims to be God, that, that ain't no big thing. I met a guy a few years back. I was at Barnes & Noble. I was getting a coffee, and a guy came up to me. He recognized me. And he said, hey, I just wanted you to know that I am God. And I said, well, you know, nice to meet you. Uh, <laughs> you know, what do you say? You know, what do you say to something like that? And uh, you know, I remember going, hey, what do I got in here? What am I drinking? You know, I was trying to trick him, <laughs> which I did. I didn't realize how easy it is to trick God. You know, yeah, hey, what's in here? Anybody can claim to be God. But how can a person prove it? Well, one sure way would be this. Coming back from the dead? That'd be a pretty good way, wouldn't it? You see, death is more powerful than any one of us in this room. It's more powerful than anybody that's ever lived. 
None of us in this room will escape the clutches of death. It claims 100% of the people 100% of the time unless you're God. Unless your life. And if you are life, then death doesn't mean a thing. That doesn't mean a, mean a thing. Beloved, the fact that Jesus walked out of the tomb proves that he was more powerful than death, which proves that Jesus was exactly who he said he was, and that was God. He was God in human form. He was from the beginning. He was a part of the Holy Trinity, and because of this, in him there is life, eternal life. John chapter 1, John's going to say this in, verse, in chapter 5. He's going to say, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son, it makes sense. They would have the Right. And if you don't have the Son of God, who is the life, you don't have the life. It just makes sense. The gospel message is a pretty simple thing. Now, there's a lot of words in here. But if you boil it all down, the gospel message is pretty simple. Jesus was, was God in human form. In the Old Testament, the message was, I'm, I'm going to send you a Messiah. I'm going to send you a, a Savior. The Messiah's coming. The Savior's coming. And in the Old Testament, how you had your sins dealt with is you just believed that God was going to send the Messiah. God was going to send the, 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 the Savior. God was going to send the life, right? You trusted God. You believed it. Now, you didn't know who it was, but you believed it was going to happen. Then you get to the New Testament. Today in the town of David, a has been born for you. The Messiah has been born for you. The life has now come. And today in the New Testament, we look back to that moment when the Messiah came, the Savior came, the life came, and how we are saved from our sins is we actually put our trust in the name of the life. And that was Jesus, you see. Look, now if you answered yes... You know, if, if you know Christ as your Savior, if you would answer yes to that, do, do, have you invited the life into your life? Have you invited Christ in your life? If you answer yes, something wonderful happens. Well, a lot of wonderful things happen. But John now says you're, you're now in fellowship with other believers, and more importantly, you're in fellowship with God and with Jesus. And In fact, this is the third thing that John wanted you to know. John wanted you to know that if you know Jesus as your Savior, if you've invited Jesus into your life, if you have the Son, you now have fellowship with Him. You have fellowship with the Father. And you have fellowship with other believers. At that moment, look at verse 3. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is a beautiful, beautiful statement here. D.A. Carson, who was a great theologian, said this, Christian fellowship means sharing the common life in Christ through the Holy Spirit. It binds believers to one another, but more importantly, 
But the more important thing is, is that it binds them also to God. You see, at the moment you invite Jesus Christ into your life, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And I have the Holy Spirit in my life, and you have the Holy Spirit in your life, and you have the Holy Spirit in your life, and you, 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 and guess what? Wow! It brings us together in fellowship. We have something very, very unique in common. And that isn't that we have fingers and toes and eyeballs and ears or kidneys or, or livers or spleens or all of that kind of stuff. What we have in common is the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And we have fellowship with one another. And let me tell you something. In the world that we live in right now, I think we're going to find out how important the fellowship of believers is. That we can come here on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning. Could be a, a, a Tuesday uh, uh, morning with our men or a Monday night with our men or a women's ministries or our young people coming together on a Wednesday night. Whatever it is, it's a safe place. The world's getting a little hostile out there in America towards us. We've just been able to kind of do whatever we wanted to do, and I don't think the fellowship of believers has been that big of a deal. It is now, isn't it? That we can come together in here and, okay, we all have something common in common together. The Holy Spirit, the Scriptures, our relationship with God. And we can come and be encouraged in the faith and fellowship together and worship God together. Whew! And give us a little juice, a little energy, a little encouragement to go out into this world that's getting a little bit more hostile. And I'm not trying to put us on the same plane as our Christian brothers and sisters that are being beheaded, you know, by ISIS. We're certainly not there. But America is certainly getting a little bit more hostile towards those of us that name the, 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 the name of, of Jesus. Now, I want to make sure you understand this in the few moments that I have left here, Okay. Philippians chapter 3 says this, For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct, how they choose to live, shows that they really aren't followers of Christ. They're really not. But they're actually enemies of the cross of Christ. You see, there are lots of people out there that are enemies to the cross of Christ. They're enemies to what we believe in. They're enemies to what the scriptures teach, you see? There's lots of ways you could, you, you could couch that. Um, sometimes we see them on TV, and they come out, and sometimes we read their blogs, or we read their, their, their Facebook posts, and there are a lot of people out there who who have been emboldened by the evilness of our government. And so evil feels emboldened. And so, man, they're, they're going to let you know exactly what they think. And so there's all these things out there that you see. Wow, man, there's a lot of people that are enemies of the cross. Well, they've always been there. But now they just feel emboldened. They, they, they got, you know, they, they got powerful people behind them, president and chief justices and whoever all these people are, are just justices. They got powerful people behind them. 
So I'm going to post things. I'm going to say things. I'm going to blog things that you wouldn't have thought about posting or blogging or talking about even a few years ago. And so the enemies of the cross have been out there for, for a long, long time. We're just starting to see it and sense it at a, at a different level now. But make no mistake about it. Everybody in this room at one time or another was an enemy of the cross. All of us. That's how we all kind of begin life, if you will. Jesus said this, anyone who isn't, you know, with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Now, when I, you know, was a pagan and I didn't know the Lord and I was going to school at Roosevelt and, you know, Grace Davis High School, I never would have thought of myself as in opposition to Christ. I was okay with people gathering in churches. I didn't care. You know, hey, good for you. I'm happy for you. I, I didn't wake up and go, okay, how can I oppose the work of God today? I, I never did that. People don't do that typically. But the scriptures are crystal clear. I was an enemy of the cross, and I was in opposition to the things of God, whether I knew it or not. That's a reality that the Bible teaches, and it's all because of sin. You see, sin and all that it's done to us, we all begin as enemies of the cross, so we all oppose the work of the Lord. Uh, sin, you know, messes up our relationship with God. It messes up our fellowship with God and, and all of that. But the Bible says this in Romans chapter 3. We were made right, meaning we were wrong. There was a time when all of us were wrong. There's a time when we were all enemies of the cross. There was a time when we were all in opposition to God. We were not in fellowship with God. We were not in fellowship with Jesus. We certainly were not in fellowship with other believers. But we were made right by placing our trust in Christ. Something unbelievable happens when we invite the life into our own lives. Something happens. All the wrong that was between the Father, all the wrong that was between the Son, all the wrong that might have been between other believers has been made right. I now have the Holy Spirit in me. James said it this way, Abraham believed God and because of his faith, God accepted him as righteous. And so Abraham was no longer an enemy of the cross. He was no longer in opposition to Christ, if you will, but he was now actually called God's friend. Meaning, there was a time when he was God's enemy. John wanted you to know, look, Jesus is God in human form. He actually had a physical body. He wanted you to know that in him there's life. It's in him that there's life. And he wanted you to know that when you have a relationship with him, that you now have fellowship with other believers, and now, more importantly, you now have fellowship with the Father. The sin that separated you from the Father has been dealt with. The sin that separated you from the Son has been dealt with. And you now have fellowship with God. You have fellowship with Christ. 
In John chapter 1, John pins these words. They're, they're familiar to all of us or most of us. He said, he, that's, that's Jesus, came into the very world he created, right? That which was in the beginning now has come into the world. He's born in that little town called Bethlehem. God has now taken on human flesh. But the world didn't recognize him. First couple decades of my life, I didn't recognize him. For some of you, you know, you didn't recognize him until you were five or six or seven years old. For some of you, it wasn't until you were in your 30s or your 40s or your 50s or your 60s. For some of you, you're here right now, you're over in the venue, you're watching me online, online, and you still don't recognize him. I get it. We all get it. Jesus came in the form of a man, but people didn't recognize him. He even came to his own people, the Jewish people, and they rejected him. But to all who believe in him, all who, who enter into a personal relationship with him, the Messiah, the Savior, as John commonly calls him throughout this letter and other places, when you come into a relationship with the life, the life, and you accept him, he gave those people the right to become children of God. They are reborn. Not with a human physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes only from God. That when you give your life to Christ, to the one who was from the beginning, and you enter into a relationship with him, he comes into your life and now fellowship has been restored. You actually become one of God's children. You see, you need to understand something. God created every single one of you in this room. He created everybody over in the venue. He created everybody who's watching online. If you're listening on the radio, he created everybody. Every one of you in this room has been created in the very image of God. All of you. But not everybody's a part of God's family. Just because you were created by him doesn't mean you're a part of his family. Your sin separated you from him. But when you invite the life into your life, Jesus, everything changes at that moment. You now have fellowship with the Father. You now become a part of his family. And there's no other way to get in that family but through a relationship with Jesus. And this is what I want everybody to do. Everybody stand up. Over in the venue, I want you to stand up, okay? Here's the deal. I, I, I just have to believe on this holiday weekend, and a lot of people are gone, and a lot of people stay up and partying last night. And Charlene Logue down here, I know she was partying until midnight last night, weren't you, Charlene? I, I, just, I just know. You just know people have been out partying. <laughs> I just got to believe that there's somebody in this room and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit worked in your life, and you're going, you know what? I get this. <laughs> Maybe you've been coming to church for years. Maybe this is your first time ever in a church. I don't know. But you're going, you know what? I, I get this. I don't have the life. I don't have Jesus. I said, I don't have the life. 
I don't have fellowship. In fact, I walked in here and I felt a little bit weird. I saw all these people singing all these songs, and I don't know. I didn't feel like I don't. I felt weird in this room. The reason why you felt weird in this room is because you don't have the life in you. You just don't have any fellowship with people in here. Oh, you look alike and friendly people and all that, but there's something that you noticed there was something different. And you certainly don't have any fellowship with God, and God has opened your eyes to that truth. And here's the deal. We got a room called the altar room. There's one over there in the in the venue, and I'm gonna pray. I want you to go in there. Pastors or spiritual leaders, elders will be in there and just walk in and just go, hey, I don't even know what's going on in my life right now. I just know I don't have a life. And I want Christ. Take you five minutes. And here's the thing: if you don't have five minutes, because you got to get out of here, you know, and get to lunch or whatever it is you're going to do next, <laughs> then, then you don't get it. You don't get it. I remember when God opened my eyes to the truth as to who he was. When I recognized I didn't have the life. <laughs> and when I say the life, I'm talking about Christ. You could have stacked up the China army right over here. And I'd have gotten through. There wasn't anything that was going to stop me from having the life in me. Nothing. And I can't believe that a lunch would hold you back. Or, man, I'm a little bit embarrassed. Everybody in that room that you'll meet are the leaders of our church. They've all been right where you're at. We just love to pray with you, maybe give you your first Bible if you don't have a Bible. Talk with you, rejoice with you, pray with you. Make sure that you have the life in your life. T -t Take advantage of that, okay? Father, thank you, Lord, for today and this weekend and what it represents. It's a big happy birthday to this great country of ours. And... Um, there's still a lot of really great things about it. I can stand up here and preach in freedom. And I'm going to keep doing that, God. But may we, as your people, spend a lot of time on our knees. May Fridays become more valuable as we fast. And just pray for our own holiness. Pray for our country. I want to pray for those who sense something going on in their lives. May they make their way into the altar room and receive the greatest gift ever, the gift of life, the gift of Jesus. May we have a great time this week just reading through 1 John, making ourselves familiar with this great letter. And I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, listen, make your way to the altar room, okay? Please go.